Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. Rather than looking at multiple programs to help your child in different subjects, one subscription gets you everything with IXL Learning, and all the kids in your home work off once from pre-K to 12th grade. If your child is struggling, this is the smartest investment you can make. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com IXLAV. Visit IXL.com IXLAV to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Swarmcast. David Eichel, Sean Bach, HawkeyeInsider.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Sean, where do we start? I mean, it's what a hectic weekend uh, from the Cooper DeGene invalid signal to Iowa producing 12 yards of offense in the second half to Iowa trying to move forward through the bye week. I suppose we have to start with the invalid signal and kind of our perspective of that. Sean, I was actually on the sidelines during this when all of this was going down. And I'll tell you, just to kind of set the stage, it was very almost eerie. I was sitting down with a couple of reporters and you just hear the whole crowd. It's just so synchronized. And I think at that moment you knew that if Cooper got his hands on the football, something special was going to happen. And I was thinking that Minnesota was just going to try to kick it out of bounds and not even give Cooper a chance to take it back. But obviously we saw what happened. He takes it to the house. Uh, they end up reviewing to see if he's stepping out of bounds. They called an invalid signal, which means the play should have been blown dead when Cooper touched the football. It was not. Uh, and that ultimately decided the game. And I think once they overturned that, everybody knew where, you know, Iowa was probably done for the day. But give me your perspective on kind of how it all went down. And we, we got to talk about it because it was controversial to say the very, very least. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty shocked, obviously, when it happened. I think everyone was pretty much in awe because at some point you're kind of like, okay, Iowa is going to find a way to get away with this game or find a way to get a win because, I mean, they've done it so many times this season or that's kind of been their trademark no matter how the game is going, no matter, you know, if the other team has just the ultimate grip on the game, unless it's that Penn State game, they're going to find a way to get an opportunity to win. And, I mean, we said, too, during the week, and I think Ryan Burns of our Minnesota site mentioned it, that special teams might make a difference. Like, it would probably make a pretty big difference in this game. And for Minnesota not to kick that ball out of bounds, I mean, 
Cooper has kind of established himself, I wouldn't say in Charlie Jones territory yet, but he's pretty dang close because he's not, you know, he's, well, Charlie did on kick returns too. So that's, I mean, obviously punt returns is a little bit, a little bit different. That's a little scarier when, you know, you're looking up at the ball Mm -hmm. and guys are coming that fast at you. But Charlie did on kick returns too. I mean, they probably, Iowa would probably love to have Cooper out there and kick returns, but how much can you really use him? But I mean, yeah. at first it's just like all these rules, because I've always think thought of a fair catch as just like you're waving them off. Like if you're, if you're watching on the video version of this, you're, you're waving them off, and like putting your hands up. That's what I always signify as a fair catch. And then there's other ones too, where you're like crossing your hands like this. Yep. But I mean, Cooper's way of doing it, it almost felt like he was just like he didn't back away. You would think that he would back away from the ball more if he intended to call fair catch because generally in those situations, you just try to get the heck away from the football as much as possible. And that could be a signal too that LeVar Woods is kind of maybe brought with the special teams group is that, hey, like if Cooper is doing like certain motions with his hands, like that's get away from the football or get away from the football or, you know, just let him be there to get it because most of the time, I mean, obviously there's muff punts, but most of the time it's more so one of the other guys on special teams that the ball bounces off of and the other team gets on it. So, I mean, just seeing that it didn't look like it at all. And you mentioned it um, earlier before the podcast and obviously on social media, that from the field level, it was not a fair catch. But you yeah. see it from above, and that's ultimately what what the officials decided on. And it it felt at that point, too, once that was called back, that there was – I know a lot of people will say, hey, I mean, I was thinking, well, Iowa, all they really need is to get within field goal range. But it felt like that was a lot to ask. Yeah, and it was a lot to ask. Yeah, I mean, I let's put some more background into this too, Sean. I felt the officials, regardless of that call or not, I thought they lost control of the game. I mean, I, there were six reviews that Kirk Ferentz mentioned. It felt like there were a lot more. And when you have that many reviews, one, it shows, in my opinion, that there's no trust in the on-field judges to get it correctly. I mean, they were they were reviewing everything. Now, a couple of them. Those are tough catches, like the ass and Ostranga catch on third down. I mean, that had to be reviewed, right? I mean, that was a great play by him. But there were a couple other things that I felt they lost control of that. But going into that Cooper catch, and this is where I have a couple issues with, then I'll get to the Big Ten comments, and I really have some thoughts about that. One, Cooper did exactly what he was taught by LeVar Woods to do. I mean, listen to washed up walk-ons, talking to people behind the scenes, people who have played special teams. The way Cooper was doing it, he was pointing to the football with his primary hand, his right hand. He said he has never called a fair catch with his left hand. And I do think that that needs to be worth something, right? So he's pointing to the football, waving him off. And remember, four weeks ago against Penn State, Sean, what happened on a punt? It went off the back of one of Iowa's players. Penn State recovered it. And that's the very last thing Iowa wanted to have happen in that situation. So I think Cooper is just trying to play it safe. Like, guys – Get away from it. I can make something happen when I get to the football and if I get a chance on it. Number two, 
Minnesota players never stopped playing. And the Big Ten essentially had mentioned that as well in their interview uh, with Chad Lysko and Scott Dockerman. Three, if you look on the Minnesota sideline, Sean, you know, P.J. Fleck yesterday said there was nothing controversial about it. I don't blame him because I don't know what else he's supposed to say in that situation. Like, oh, yeah, they really gifted us that one. Thanks, Big Ten. Thanks, officials. He's never going to flat out say that, right? But PJ looked like somebody stole his puppy or he watched his cat get ran over or something like he, he thought the game was over and Cooper took it back. None of the Minnesota staffers were yelling at the officials to take a look at anything. And again, I think all of us thought the game was over. So I have, I have problems with all of that. And as you mentioned, the fair catch signal, I've always thought it was above the head, making it very, very overly clear that they're calling fair, fair catch. So I think there's a lot of layers to this. I think the Big Ten botched it, and I don't think it's particularly close. And the other thing, too, Sean, is this could have major ramifications on the Big Ten title and not just on the Big Ten West, on the Big Ten East. Because what if Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan all go 11-1? And we'll see what happens with the Michigan situation. Obviously, they're in a pretty intense investigation right now, probably the story of college football at the moment. Uh, But, you know... Iowa did have its chances. Like, yes, I I think the the overturn took away Iowa's guarantee at a win, but Iowa had its chance to at least find a way to win again. And the offensive issues that caught up to them were completely long overdue. I mean, it it, it was going to catch up eventually. I didn't think they were going to go 11-1. I didn't think they lose to Minnesota. Uh, but I'm gutted for Cooper. I think he deserved it. I think that's going to, you know, one more punt return touchdown. Sean looks great on All-American voting. It looks great for Big Ten returner of the year. It looks great on film. Now, granted, I still think the play is going to be on his NFL tape, even if it didn't count. Uh, But in my opinion, Sean, that would have been – that was up there for maybe a top five, top three moment in Kinnick Stadium history. Like that was probably one of the most jarring plays I've ever watched live in in my journalism career. It was was special. Yeah, and – I think too what what you said about that punt return and how that obviously would have won the game for Iowa. We talked last week about Iowa and just complimenting them on finding ways to win, finding ways to make that happen with defense, special teams, and you know hit or miss offense. And you know you have one big play here or there that makes a big difference in the game, especially with Iowa's defense. But with that playing style, you're also going to run into the trap of, hey, what if things don't go our way? That's a really risky game. And ultimately, that was exposed last week. I mean, you can point the special teams, obviously would have won the game. But offensively, man, like you can't have, I think it was 11 total rushing yards. And I know their sack numbers go into it. But your leading rusher on the year, LaShawn Williams, I think either had like 11 or 13, 11 or 13 rushing yards on like 11 or 13 carries, something like that. You you cannot have that, especially with Iowa. Yep, Caleb yeah. had six for 18. Yep, 28 rushes, mm-hmm. 11 yards total. And just looking at what Minnesota did defensively, just absolutely stacking that box, man. They were daring Iowa to throw the football. And, I mean, Iowa had some success throwing the football, like, at times. Like, there were certain passes where it it ended up working. And, obviously, that pass to Deontay Vines on the first drive of the game. Um, I believe there was another one earlier in the drive 
Addison Estrang obviously had that nice catch. But outside of that, it's like they were daring Iowa to throw the, throw the football. And I don't care how good your offensive line is. If you have that many guys going up against your offensive line in that box, you're going to have a hard time winning and running the football effectively. And, you know, that was ultimately exposed. We're going to switch to the offense in a minute, but I do want to say some of the Big Ten's comments because, you know, rarely do the coordinator of officials in the Big Ten office and the NCAA actually meet with reporters to clarify calls, uh, but they did. They had a 30-minute conversation with Chad Lysko, Scott Dockerman, and I think Pioneer Press as well. And, Sean, I've always advocated for transparency from the Big Ten in these types of situations, and after reading the quotes, I understand completely why they should they never talk because it was it was bad. And in my again, in my opinion, I think Cooper DeGene got I think Cooper DeGene got hosed. I think Iowa's issues caught up to them. It cost Iowa a guarantee win, but let's break down some of this, right? One, I think a term that's getting lost is indisputable video evidence. That's critical in overturning the call. And you look at the explanation from the Big 10 office from the NCAA. There is no indisputable evidence. It was all subjective. And an interesting thing Kirk Ferentz said post-game as well, Sean, is he, LeVar Woods, Cooper, go meet with the on-field judges, the on-field officials to go over fair catch signals, to go over, you know, that's part of their pregame procedure. In my opinion, the head referee, Tim O'Day, I do not think he wanted to call the call that was ultimately made that decided the game. It was the replay official who was not on the field. They were in the stadium. I did clarify that. They were not in Pittsburgh, as Kirk Ferentz suggested. But why are you having the replay official go through all that who was not on the field for those pregame procedures? I think that's a problem. But let's go just quickly through some of the comments that were made from the Big Ten office. Again, indisputable video evidence. This is from the Big Ten office. If you look at the ground video of it, you might say this doesn't look like much of a wave. But if you look at the high camera view over the top, he's actually waving. No one stopped. But if the hand is moving at all, it's going to slow down a kicking team player because they know he can't return this. Whether it's valid or invalid, the rule book says he can't return it. I think that's a load of crap. No kicking team player paused or stopped. And when Cooper picked up that ball, Sean, Cooper just made seven gophers go back into their hole. He juked out all of them with one sideline. They were never stopping to not try to take out Cooper on that because they all thought it was a live play. Minnesota thought it was a live play. Iowa played it out like it's a live play. And again, you talk about indisputable video evidence. You're using a high camera angle where none of the players who are actually on the field are using. They can only go by ground level. So if it doesn't look like he's waving at the ground level, what do you think everybody on the field's thinking? They're thinking it's a live ball. So I thought that was a horrible look through the Big Ten. And they also talked about how they believe it was a reviewable play. But something that's interesting, Sean, and I know it's a scoring play, which is why it was reviewable. But it's not explicitly stated that you can review an invalid fair catch signal. But the way the rule's written so vaguely it's all subjective whether or not they can do it. So the Big Ten trying to utilize that as justification to make that call, I think it's a load of crap. They had two officials right next to Cooper DeGene. The Minnesota coaching staff wasn't screaming for it. You know, Iowa played it out. Minnesota played it out. And the worst part about it is nobody's held accountable. The Big Ten, the NCAA, 
They're standing true to their guns. They're going to stick true to whatever the call was, not even on the field, but they're going to ultimately stand by the officials. I think that lack of accountability sets a dangerous precedent. And I'll say it again. I think they hosed Cooper DeGene. But Iowa's offense caught up to him. And yep. that's let's just dive into it right now. There's, it's going to be a big week for Iowa during the bye week and next week. And I'll start with this before we get to the Brian Ferentz aspect of it, Sean. Is it time to throw in Joey Labus instead of Deacon Hill? I mean, I think you got to try something. But, and I know a lot of people will, you know, might give flack for this, but I mean, I was, I was coaches don't want the offense to be bad. They don't want the offense to be putrid, believe, believe it or not, breaking news. <laughs> so I feel like there's got to be something that they see that might be a better fit for Iowa. Might, they might feel more comfortable with the Deacon Hill than they would Joey Labus. I know a lot of people look at the Music City Bowl last year and think, hey, I mean, Lavis didn't do that bad of a job. But remember, like, Kentucky was really detrimented on defense. I think they had a number of injuries and a number of guys opted out for the NFL. So they were going up against Kentucky's, like, second and third string guys. And, I mean, Lavis yep. didn't do a bad job. Like, he wasn't – but also, remember, he had Sam Laporta. He had Luke Lachey. He doesn't have Eric All or Luke Lachey. Offensive line is better, but I don't know if Iowa feels like they can trust him to, you know, make some of these passes maybe or make some of these plays that, you know, they, they want to do. And maybe they feel like Deacon gives it a better chance. And, you know, they, they did put a lot of their eggs in their basket with Kate McNamara. There's, there's no doubt about that. And how, how could you not? How could you not? Like, obviously coming off a of leg surgery – um, last year, that was going to be maybe an issue or maybe something that came up again. And obviously, you took the risk and look what happened in in August. I mean, I know it's a different. It didn't have anything to do with the leg now or the injury now, but I mean, he was limited throughout the season and he didn't look like he was fully a hundred percent the the entire time he was out there. So, I mean, the whole Labus argument. Obviously, the fans want it. Other people want it. But I feel like maybe there's something that the Iowa staff sees that maybe they don't trust it enough. Or maybe, you know, maybe they just don't feel comfortable with Lavis throwing some of those passes out to the outsider turn. I mean, he can move the football, but I think what we've heard in the past, too, is that turnovers have kind of been something that maybe people inside the program are worried about with Lavis. I mean, you can make a big play, but maybe, you know, how much can you really do with them, I guess? You know, I go back to this too, Sean. You always talk about, <clears throat> you know, the coaches have always said, we aren't in practice. And that's right, we're not. We we hear rumblings behind the scenes, et cetera. But I think back to his one career start against Kentucky. Sean, was he ever really forced to make a play? Like, he was never forced to make a play. Um, and I believe in that game, I think he threw one pass for over 10 yards through the air. Like that was a very heavy screen game, a very run heavy game. Like you could tell Iowa's whole goal was don't turn the ball over. Don't turn the ball over. Don't turn the ball over. And but the other thing I come back to is this. Deacon Hill, when he goes out there, his one job at this point in the year is to not turn the ball over. 
And with, I mean this with all due respect to Deacon, he is not proving that he's a power five quarterback right now. You look at his numbers, I mean, he's high 30s completion percentage. He kept the ball low twice on both those fumbles. I wasn't, I believe it was the second one, Sean, where he kind of pump faked to throw the, like a deep pass downfield. He pump faked and then he stood in the pocket and just stood there. Wasn't really doing anything. The ball got hit out of his hands, turnover. That can't happen. Like two fumbles and the interception, the thing that's a little bit troubling with him as well, he, I feel like he locks on to receivers before the play starts. Like it doesn't matter how, you know, how the routes end up going or who's covering who, who's open. Deacon knows who he's throwing the ball to before the play even starts. And I think back to that last drive, every watch he tried to force it over the hash mark. Sean, he has a guy wide open over the middle. Probably would have maybe not gotten the first down. He would have gotten 10 yards. And at that point, you know, you might be able to try to run the football on fourth and two. I know you haven't had success running, but that might have thrown off the Minnesota defense if you go, you know, five wide or four wide and you have a running back in the back. Like Iowa had more options there, but when you force that throw into double coverage before the ball even got there, you knew it was about to be picked off. But the other thing is, again, the thing that I will go back to, and this might be a tinfoil hat theory, so I'm, this is not anything I'm hearing. It's something I'm throwing out there. Does Iowa's coaching staff trust Deacon more as a leader than Joey Labis? I, I mean, you think back to how much Kirk and Brian and all of them prioritized leadership at the quarterback position. Like, yeah, Joey Labis does have a star under his belt. Yes, he did win. I don't think they'd be this stubborn. I, it's just it's it's mind boggling to me at this point. I, I don't know what they're seeing in practice. And like you said, I think they are doing what they believe is the best way to win, even if everybody on the outside is kind of screaming, hey, try something, anything. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast right and i mean credit to minnesota defense coordinator joe rossi too because yep i think deacon's kind of that's kind of been a trend with him is putting the ball low when he's about to throw and that's something that defensive coordinators pick up on, or, you know, during it. Say, hey, if you're getting to the quarterback and he still hasn't passed, you got to try and punch that ball out. And this is where he kind of tends to hold it if he's holding on to the ball too long. 
Um, and I'm not going to act like I know everything about the quarterback position because, golly, I don't know, like, anything compared to a lot of the people in college football. But just picking up on those kind of things and, I mean, not having those tight ends out there, man. I mean, yep. losing Luke Lachey is one thing. I mean, obviously he plays a huge role. But just the, the targets, like, I think Iowa, I think there was like 20 – 24 of Deacon's passes, 20 of Deacon's 24 passes were to wide receivers. And only four, I think, were to tight end. And yep. just looking at, I had the, st- I wrote it down the other day. Um, Iowa's wide receiver, the, the completions to targets is 31 to 78. That's under 40%. And the tight ends, it's 40 completions to 68 targets, which is – let me do the math real quick in my head. It's not that's great, over, but it's significantly better. Yeah, that's over That's over 50%, which is close to the 60 threshold where Iowa wants to be and where they've talked about so many times before. So that in its own self is concerning. I mean, obviously there's drops that has happened, but missed passes – you know, just miscommunication, maybe overthrows. Like it's just, it's just a constant cycle. And you're going to have, you're going to play four teams that may not have the best record. I mean, Illinois has had more inspiring performances recently. Yep. Northwestern can be hit or miss. I mean, maybe Minnesota. So that, that should say something. I mean, Iowa, they put up, what, 37 points on Minnesota? They had a three-touchdown comeback in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I think it was – yeah, I think it was double overtime. It was either overtime or double overtime, I believe, too. But, yeah. Still 37 points. Like, yep. I mean, yeah, and they put up that many points in a quick uh, quick segment. Um, Nebraska, I mean, there seems to be optimism in Lincoln. They bowl eligibility. And Rutgers isn't half-bad team either. So, yes, all these four games are winnable. And, I mean, Illinois' defense has been a little eh this year um, with losing Ryan Walters, Purdue. But, I mean, those are still winnable teams, winnable games, but they're also still somewhat respectable defenses. I mean, Illinois, like I said, struggled. But the other teams have respectable defenses. And, I mean, yes, you can rely on defense and special teams, but I think some of these teams are smart enough to play the strategy that Minnesota had, where you stack that box, you force Iowa to throw the football. The weather's probably not going to get any better than it was this past weekend. Granted, there was mm-hmm. some wind, but it's going to be cold. It's going to be windy. You know, you might have precipitation, but you, you got to find a way to throw the football. And throw you got to deal with it. Yeah, you got every other team can deal with it. Um, and you're exactly right. Again, I think you made a good point. You have to correct Minnesota's defense because they're doing exactly what teams should have been doing against Iowa over the past month. Sack the box, put nine guys in there, force Deacon Hill and the water in Iowa wide receivers to do something. And, you know, a lot of people have pointed this out and I want to clear this up and this will transition us into the coaching aspect of it as well. Iowa's offensive line has been decent, Sean. I look at the film 
for this year compared to last year, there have been substantial strides in my opinion, just because the numbers aren't there as far as running the ball, as far as passing the ball goes. Like there's so many factors that carry in like Iowa's blocking could be stellar in the run game. But Sean, if you have eight blockers and nine people in the box, it doesn't matter if everybody's hitting their guy, right? Because they're outnumbered. So I think I think George Barnett, quite frankly, has saved his job over the past five weeks. I think I think the offensive line's done a pretty reasonable job. I think Rusty Feth, that we talked about last week, moving into that starting role, I think he's done a really nice job there and has kind of really solidified that unit. But I think, again, I think Barnett saved his job. I think the play calling has been really bad lately. Iowa's not making throws. I think Iowa might have, you know, I won't even say my Iowa football right now. Sean has the least creative and uninspiring route tree and passing creativity in the entire country. It's just, it's so predictable what they do. The defenses don't have to really overly prepare. They're going to stack the box. And that's exactly what Rutgers is going to do. And Rutgers is good this year, Sean. I don't care. They're six and two. They're playing good football. They're boiled. Well, I think Shauna's done a hell of a job with the Scarlet Knights. Northwestern's not good, but Sean, they play tough. Yeah. Given the situations, like they're they are very much together. And I think that's something that's been very kind of apparent as well. Nebraska's got the fifth best rushing defense in the country by yardage. They I'm not saying they're the black shirts by any means. They they've been decimated uh on offense as far as the injury goes but that's going to be a difficult game like you mentioned all four of those games are winnable the hard truth is sean all four are losable like iowa has to find a way to move the football through the air and there's nothing that's going to overhaul this offense and i think kirk and brian are going to have a very tough conversation decision to make about and phil do they put cooper in at wildcat quarterback do they put him at wide receiver do you have packages for Cooper DeGee on offense? Because right now, Sean, he is Iowa's best factor to score, and he doesn't even play offense. That's kind of where I'm at right now with everything. Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of been against that talk because he's been so yeah. valuable on defense. And, I mean, I'm with the you. corner the cornerback depth is already limited as is. I mean, Deshaun Lee was questionable this week. TJ Hall's been out. You know, who do you have at that fifth spot? You know, Kubrick gets hurt. What it, I mean, we saw what happened last yeah. year. And it's not – I mean, Lee seems to be working his way back into the rotation, working back his way. And he had a really good start to the year before Harris came back. Um, he's going to be really good next year, assuming that Cooper goes to the NFL, which, I mean, how could you not at this point Yeah. Uh, with the season he's had? And obviously doesn't have to pick six as they did last year, but – I mean, he's probably valued himself even more as a potential first-round pick with his ability to punt return. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's – I would like to see it. It would be cool, a lot, get a lot of people talking and would be surely be entertaining. But, man, like, you got – you got you just got defense and special teams at this point. I mean, yes, I want I, – I, I want to – as an observer, I want to see the offense succeed. I want to do them – see them do well. But, man, like, if Cooper gets hurt, you lose a lot on defense there. And I get the I mean, concern yeah. of it. 
I, I do too. And that's where I've kind of pushed but back. You can take the goal. risk. Yeah. You yep. take the risk, I guess. Yep. But man, yeah, that's. It's Assuming tough. Cooper's comfortable with it. And you know, he will be, I mean, you've been around Cooper enough. Like that's just the type of dude he is. Like I, I guarantee you, he'd love the challenge. He'd love to be able to make an impact there. But again, you also got to protect him. Like I don't right. think people realize how tough it would be for him. I mean, look at Travis Hunter, like what Travis Hunter is doing is unbelievable. And yes, you know, his injury was a freak injury, but that also just kind of happens. And there's a higher likelihood of that for Cooper if he plays both ways. And, and again, as a punt returner too, I mean, there's so many factors to this, but it's like, what would you rather risk losing Cooper on off, like on defense or losing the potential of him on offense and the offense right now, Sean, by the stats, by total offense, I was averaging three, uh, 232.4 yards per game. That's 20 worse than last year. That is the seventh worst in college football since 2006. That's as far back as I went. I mean, this is all-time horrible right now. Uh, so I think they're going to have a tough decision to make there. But I want to transition to, to this. A couple of quick minutes on this. Brian Ferentz cannot come back next year. We've, we've talked about it. We talked about that being the case last year. And I don't want to sit here and be disrespectful to Brian because he's always been – you know, he holds himself accountable, whether people believe it or not. He's always given me fair answers when I've pressed him on some harder topics. Uh, but, Sean, it's it's best for both parties. Like, I know a lot of people have said that, oh, if Brian Ferentz was the offensive line coach, people would be fine with that as long as he took a step back. Given all of the toxicity from outside the program about Brian, it's best for – everybody involved in my opinion for when this 25 point per game threshold does not hit do not re-engage in contract negotiations with Iowa because again the current agreements terminated but he could resign different agreement I think Brian's gotta go pave his own way somewhere else get out of the Iowa bubble and you know ultimately protect his dad's legacy to some degree Sean because in my opinion it has taken a hit with with Brian at the helm of the offensive coordinator and, and the whole dynamic with everything. And again, you think about from Beth Getz's perspective, if she's not the next athletic director, I will be stunned assuming she wants the job. And from my indication, she does, she cannot possibly rehire Brian Ferentz. And I'm, I'm, I'm just interested in, in your thoughts, but Iowa football is in a very dangerous place. And I know I feel like I've said this past three years, Sean, this might be the most interesting offseason in Iowa football history outside 2020. Yeah. I know I said last year too, but it's it's very real to me, I think, at this point. I mean, if you're winning in a sexier way, then it's not as interesting because transfer portal, you got guys that are happy. You know, Iowa does a really good job of finding personalities that fit the program and, you know, are kind of willing to put the team over themselves as opposed to some programs where, you know, maybe you get a couple of those bigger, bigger personalities that aren't really all about that. And mm -hmm. so that makes it, you know, kind of different when it comes to the portal, but you can sell people on an image or on a, you can sell people on an image of what could happen. But if you don't have the improvement to back that up, 
Yes, you could look at the injuries to Kay McNamara and Eric Hall and Luke Lachey. Yes, you can say that, but, you know, how are you going to appeal to a wide receiver in the transfer portal with the way things have been this year? How are you going to appeal to even a running back? I mean, yes, I was good at running back, but, you know, how are you going to appeal to some of these positions, especially wide receiver? And, I mean, Kelton Copeland has straight up said it. Iowa's a tough place to recruit wide receivers. And, yeah, I mean, you got to block. You got to block to be a wide receiver. There's no doubt about that. I know people are kind of thrown off when he said that, and I get it because you got to be for the team. But, man, like, that's just a hard – it's just a hard sell, and it's getting even harder. I mean, people thought when Caleb Brown came yeah. that it would be all different. Obviously, there's factors as to why maybe Caleb Brown's not playing as much as people would have expected, and, you know, that happens. But how are you going to sell that to someone? Yes, he's a prospect. Yes, it's based on potential. He's shown promise with some of those jet sweeps that he's had. I mean, yes, the opportunity that he has gotten or a couple opportunities, he's had drops. You know, there's other stuff that the coaches see on film that they're maybe like, okay, maybe he doesn't put us in the best chance of win right now, or maybe he's not ready. You know, that sort of thing. You know, how – and that maybe that falls on him, not saying he's to blame, but you know, if you get the opportunity, you gotta take advantage of it. Yep. And you know, I know I get the criticism, but like man, like you gotta be able to sell something other than you can be at the change that the offense wants. I'm not saying that's the pitch of the staff, but like what else is the pitch though at this point? Yeah. I mean, seriously, it's it's tough. I mean, yeah. it's tough. I'm with you. I think it's going to be impossible. I don't care how much NIL money Iowa has. I <clears throat> I do think a couple of things. One, as far as the transfer portal goes, I think Kirk's going to be more open to it at this point. From this from this standpoint, Sean, you think about the people they have gotten, whether they've worked out injury-wise or not. What is Kirk values character and leadership, correct? More than probably most coaches. Like that, that dictates a lot, in my opinion, for him. Cade McNamara gets voted team captain. Rave reviews about Eric All, right? Nick Jackson, rave reviews from teammates, coaches. I've enjoyed talking to him during media availabilities. So maybe Kirk's approach to the portal might be a little bit more aggressive if he continues to find the quote-unquote right pieces to put in there because of how those guys transition well within the program, right? So, I mean, maybe, maybe you think about it from that perspective. But, Sean, there's only one thing I think that Iowa can do to really appeal to wide receivers in the portal. And it, it, it might be popular to some. I may completely piss off another group of Iowa fans. What Iowa has to do, they have to go their separate ways from Brian Ferentz. And I'm not even saying Iowa has to fire Brian Ferentz, Sean. I, I seriously – I think Brian Ferentz is going to resign before anything else or he just honors the termination of the agreement. What Kirk Ferentz has to do to save his legacy and to continue to find a way or even find a way to get players to come to Iowa, they got to, number one, they have to pay high dollars for an elite offensive coordinator to come to Iowa. And there's one name I'm looking at that would be very, very appealing in my opinion, and that would be Ryan Grubb, the offense coordinator for the University of Washington Huskies. He's a Kingsley, Iowa native played at Buena Vista University in Storm Lake, Iowa for three years. And you look at what he's done with that Washington offense, right? Now he's getting paid a lot of money. So what do you have to do? 
I think he you have to pay him 2.2 or 2.3 million dollars a year. Come to Iowa. Kirk says, "Hey, I still want to run the football. We have a good offensive line. We still want to play complimentary football, but I'm taking my hands completely off the passing game. I'm going to leave that to the offensive coordinator. Play calling, leave it to the offensive coordinator." And what Iowa has to do after that is they need to give Phil Parker a raise because you cannot bring in an elite offensive coordinator and pay him a lot more than you're paying Phil Parker with what Phil Parker does year in, year out. But that's the only way, in my opinion, that you can say you could be the change. You could be the change. Iowa has to have a new wide receivers coach and they need a new offensive coordinator. And I'm, again, I'm not advocating for anybody to be fired. I think Brian Ferentz is going to resign at the end of the year. I think that's the most likely outcome, in my opinion, when all this is said and done. Not that he's going to quit on Iowa or anything in the middle of the season. Don't get that twisted. But the only way you're going to be able to bring in some of those top prospects, Sean, is if there's significant personnel change and Kurt takes his hand off the passing offense, in my opinion. If, if that's not the case, then who knows? The other part of it, too, you know, with Brian's title, Sean, you have the offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach. Why not have an offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach into one and work hand in hand with that and kind of throw in that passing game coordinator in that sort of same boat. And then you have a quarterback, a separate quarterbacks coach or somebody else you bring in. Yeah. My going back to grub real quick. My thing is if you've had, yes, you have Michael Penix and a really good wide receiver court. But what makes someone think – I mean, he's never been a head coach. Does he want to be a head coach at some point? Like, would he leave sure. another power? Yes, they're both going to be in the Big Ten, but could one argue that Washington is a better job than Iowa right now? I would say so, absolutely. I think it's more work to overhaul the Iowa offense. But, again, I think that's why if you're Iowa, you have to just kind of – open up the checkbook and pay someone enough money to transform it. Yeah. I mean, and this, I mean, Grubb's been a, uh, been with Kalen DeBoer the last couple of years too, dating back to when they were at, uh, at Fresno state. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the dream right now. That seems, I think like you a make great the call option, at least. but yeah. you make the call. You definitely make the call. But I'm just curious, like I haven't done any diving into or anything like that, but just like how realistic is it at this point? Sure. I don't, yeah, that's just tough. That's tough for me. No, and sure. And I'm not even trying to say it's going to happen or it's a pipe dream, but I'm just kind of spitballing off top of my head some names. I think that's the first name. And the other part of it too is, again, I haven't done a deep dive, but Iowa's very loyal. I mean, you know this, Sean, you've been in the state long enough. Iowa people are very loyal to Iowa. And I'm not even saying the University of Iowa specifically uh, for Ryan Grubb, but I'm saying that hometown kind of pull, you know, to return back where you grew up and kind of be that guy that kind of transforms if he has family in the area, et cetera. Um, But I do think he would be on the short list of names that they would look at. I think, you know, as people are going to hate me saying this, I think John Budmeyer would probably be another name because he's already with the program. He's been an offensive coordinator. He's responsible for getting Cade McNamara to Iowa. But if that happens, Sean, what's going to happen with the offense? It's going to stay the exact same. Right, right, yeah. My thing, too, with Grubb is he's from Kingsley, and that's that's mm-hmm. more so South Dakota than it is I'm with you on that. Iowa. So that's that's a little tough. <laughs> yeah. No, again, I 
I, I, I think just he'd be a name that I think I would reach out to. And again, you might not be able to sell it because quite frankly, Sean, I think Washington's on the up and up right now with what they've done. I've been very, very impressed with what Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb and even Michael Penix. I mean, I thought when Riley Moss picked sixth Penix twice in that Iowa, Indiana opener a couple of years ago, Sean, I thought Penix's career was over. I, cause he was fresh off the ACL injury and his comeback's been phenomenal. Uh, but again, and I'm not again. I'm not even saying Ryan Grubb specifically, but you need an elite offensive coordinator, and you got to open up the checkbook to make it worth them. Because right now, you could sell. You know, Iowa's great defense. They have Phil Parker, keep Lavar Woods, special teams coordinator. You just be like, you can be. And I think it's a better sell the coaching staff than the players. Like you can be the missing piece to really kind of bring this all home. But the missing piece is Kurt Ferentz changing his mindset about the offense and laying the new offensive coordinator, if there is a new offensive coordinator, take full reins of the offense. Yeah. So that kind of transition to what we are, I was going to talk about after, which was this could be the craziest December in Iowa football history with signing day, with potential personnel changes, uh, with the transfer portal. Because who knows, with after the year on offense, Sean, I'm not going to throw any names specifically, but it's not going to surprise me if there's a significant roster attrition at the end of this football season. I, I really do believe that. So I would advise people to stay locked into HawkeyeInsider.com because it's going to be really, really busy. Uh, you have any other final notes on football, Sean, or do you just want to go back into uh, – we talk about the secret scrimmage a little bit in, in Iowa hoops to kind of wrap this thing up? Yeah, I mean, nothing really football-related. Obviously, there's still a path to a Big Ten West, but it's getting cloudier and cloudier by the by the day. Um but yeah, I mean, we could we could talk some basketball secret scrimmage if you want. Yeah, let's let's dive into it. We we dropped these notes in our VIP board. Uh, basically, the the afternoon it happened, which was on Sunday afternoon, <laughs> Iowa took on a uh, very I want to say a very limited Wichita State team, but they took on Wichita State. Uh, we can kind of dive into our projections for the season, but from all accounts, it's really not too surprising what we kind of heard. We know Owen Freeman was out. He had an ankle sprain. That's not going to be long-term. He's going to be back. Peyton Sanford, I think, is going to be a breakout player in the Big Ten. He was my breakout player in the Big Ten pick for 24-7 sports. Uh, Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You know, I know we talked about this last year, Sean, but Patrick McCaffrey really could be in for a, a big jump this season. I think I may have underestimated the type of jump that he can make. But from behind the scenes, talking to people, even around the league, like, I think there's an expectation that Patrick McCaffrey is going to take a big, big step forward. So talk about that and then dive into a few of the notes I know that you uh, that you obtained talking to some sources. Yeah, Peyton Sanford, Ben Kirke, and Patrick, those guys were the leading scorers against Wichita State. It was a bit of a different format 
because they had one game that was or like a 20 minute segment that was man to man. Then they had another one that was zone and then they had another one that was press. And when you put the net scores together, Iowa probably would have won by 15 or 20 points. Um, Iowa shot the ball really well, got good contributions from two freshmen, Brock Cardi and Bryce Sanford off the bench in the scoring department. DeSante Bowen was solid. I mean, Josh Dix, I think, getting the start at the point guard position, that was one of the really intriguing things that came from the scrimmage. Obviously, Iowa, Fred McCaffrey has mentioned Dix playing that one this year, being kind of that four-man group that can play the point um, that he trusts. And, I mean, I from what I've heard, there's a lot of really positive things that have come from Dix. He's really solid. He's really poised. And he just is really comfortable playing at that spot and just having the basketball in his hands. So I'm expecting him to to really be a key key point for Iowa this year. It's just going to be different coming on the matchups and, you know, how things kind of work game to game. Um, so that'll be, that'll be something to, something to note uh, with him. But yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a positive, positive, seemed to be really positive coming from that game. I mean, obviously defense is going to be, we talk about it. I mean, Iowa has not really had a good defensive team since the Woodbury years. Um, yeah. Woodbury years and, I mean, this. I think this team has upside to play defense, but with how fast Iowa plays and the type of personnel that they have, it's going to be it's going to be the key for them. They can score as much as they want. I mean, they're going to put up points. They feel better about their three point shooting than they did last year. But yeah. as we know, that can come and go in games. I mean, look at the NCAA tournament against Auburn. It was not there, and it turned into a track meet. And Auburn just had the better athletes and defended pretty well. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I think it's kind of a typical Fran team, but they like the depth more in the front court. Uh, they feel like they had more shooters than last year. Um, they feel like so they got more optimism. size too. I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I meant more depth in the front court. Yeah. Um, and they have a backup center. So that's, that's a plus too. You need a guy that can be physical down there and have the bronze and, you know, maybe even Owen Freeman too. They really like him. Um, so, I mean, the ceiling, I think, is pretty high, but it's going to be a team, I think, that, you know, it's going to be – I don't know how consistent they can be. That's my that's my big yeah. thing. I, I was going to say, too, I think it's going to be a team that people are going to love watching, but there's going to be certain times, Sean, where they're, they're pissed. They're going to be frustrated with some of the stretches of basketball they play. But that's because of all the new personnel. I've heard Ben Cricky has kind of upped his three-point shot. He's really worked hard over the offseason on that. And I think he's got a lot more of those catch-and-shoot opportunities. And Cricky, I don't think it's going to be one of those things, Sean, that was like Philip or Bracha coming to the Big Ten. I think Cricky's got more help around him at that front court spot that will allow him to kind of pick and choose his spots. And I think Cricky is a little bit better of a shooter than Philip was. I think Philip was more of a bruiser, could go back to basket, like to finish through contact. Cricky has a little bit more finesse to his game, I think. You know, Tony Perkins is going to be – his consistency is going to be something I'm watching very, very close. I think Peyton Sanford's going to have the ultimate green light, which I feel like we say that about a few players every year. But there's not going to be a shot on the floor he doesn't like, and I think people should kind of embrace that because Peyton Sanford can put up 20 points in six minutes. He's that type of explosive scorer. 
Uh, so I'm interested in that. I love what Owen Freeman has showcased talking to people behind the scenes. Like he's emerged as one of the better rebounders on the team. And I think that alone could give him some good minutes. And that's something he even stri- he's striving for. He wants those big time minutes his first year. Uh, I've heard really good things about Brock Harding too. I do think he's, you know, he's not six feet tall. Let's get that clear, Sean. I, I, you know, you stood by him. I, he's not six feet tall, but he's very fast. He's crafty and he's got that dog in him. Like he, he, he strikes me as a very big gamer and a guy that's not going to ever get rattled or back down to anybody. I think that's a powerful thing. I think Lodgy is going to take some time to really get accustomed to the game, but I love his upside. I love his, his strength, his size, his versatility, uh, rebounding the ball, sets hard screens, can finish through contact. Uh, he's not afraid to shoot the three. I love his upside in the long term. I don't know how much he's going to have an impact this season. Uh, but I do think all four of the freshmen play, and I think you're right. I don't know what the ceiling of this team really quite is yet. I really don't know what their floor is because, as you mentioned, I think they feel better about their shooting. I think their rebounding is going to be something that's going to come and go. Uh, but I think ultimately they will be a better rebounding team than they were. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm very interested about who steps up as the go-to leader on this team. I think you have some – you know, you have some guys I don't think are going to back down. I think Tony Perkins could be that guy. Could it be Peyton Sanford? Could it be Patrick McCaffrey? I think all three of those guys are starting to kind of embrace that role. But who's going to be that one go-to guy? And I'll say, Sean, I know people think it's going to be Tony Perkins, but I really, really think it could be Peyton Sanford as the season goes along. Yeah, he just needs to – I know I use this word a lot with basketball, but he just needs to stay consistent, man, because I don't think he can really afford to have that start like he had last year. Yeah, And I would give some the green light, but it's just a matter of taking those good shots too and not wasting possessions. I mean, yes, Fran lets you play, but some of those shots that he took a year ago um, were a little questionable at times. You know, he's not afraid to take anything, but one, sort, or one text I got from a source after the game um, – was that it was, hey, if we if we can defend, we can be a Sweet 16 team. Hmm. And I thought that was interesting. I don't know about that yet, but I think eight or nine seed is realistic in the NCAA term. But I could also see this team being NIT bound. Like, it, it could go a couple different yeah. ways for sure. That's kind of where I'm at, too. I'm, I know people are kind of looking forward to what we predict the season's going to be. I know we'll probably do a long form about that sometime over the next week or so with our official prediction. But, Sean, I got to tell you, I'm not really sold one way or the other on this, on this team yet. And that's not a good – that's not a bad thing. Like, I just want to see how these pieces sort of mesh because I do like the upside. And I think, again, if you talk about the long-term aspect of what Iowa can be, you get Peyton Sanford back next year. You have four freshmen who will have significant experience. They'll probably enter the portal and try to grab somebody. Like there are pieces about this Iowa team moving forward that you can continue to build off of. And I'm not even saying, of course, I'm not saying like throw in the, throw it in for this year. I'm not saying that at all, but you just think about where this team wants to be in the long term. Like I still think there's a, there's a good foundation for the program going forward based on what we've kind of heard behind the scenes, at least in my opinion. Yeah, no, definitely. That uh, I know we'll have a big pod before the season starts because what it's Monday is their exhibition game, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. So that'll be. I know we'll have something probably before that, or you know maybe next week at some point. Sure. So looking forward yeah. to it. 
Well, any other final tidbits you got, Sean, or should we uh, should we wrap this thing up? I think we're good. I don't yeah, have I too much to really add. I'm ready for the bye weekend. Um, yeah, I'm ready so to watch football. Be, actually, yeah, that'll be that'll be enjoyable for sure. So stay locked in to HawkeyeInsider.com. Follow us on Twitter at David Eichholt, at SBOC247, and at Hawkeyes on 247. And as always, stay locked in to 24-7 Sports for the latest. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.